Every life has its seasons with some magic we'll get through. Hippie witch has her reasons and she's sharing them with you. Hippie witch season five. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 509 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode which will include all the links to the fabulous Thorn Mooney! Thorn Mooney! Why has it taken me so long to have Thorn Mooney on the show? I know so many of you love her. She is a high priestess of YouTube. (laughs) She's an actual Wiccan High Priestess, but I know a lot of you know and love her from YouTube, and she is the author of Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide, and the upcoming book, The Witch's Path, Advancing Your Craft at Every Level, and truly just an awesome person. This episode is going to be a book nerd's Dream. This is your dream podcast, my book nerdy friends, because we talk about books and I swear a lot when I'm really relaxed and having fun. So maybe I should give you a heads up about that if you have kids in the room because I drop a few F bombs and really that is Thorne's fault. <laughs> If she wasn't so much fun to talk to, I wouldn't have gotten so carried away, but she is, and I did, so here we are. This episode has some swear words in it, and really, this is the thing about Thorn, and this happens every once in a while on the podcast. Someone lets me be my full, obnoxious self, and it's such a delight Like somebody will just really get into conversation with me and let me kind of unpack an idea that I'm having issues with or I'm bumping up against and not take offense to me asking questions in that line. And then it just becomes so playful and fun and it's a curiosity-driven conversation. And Thorne is so like that. This was an absolute blast for me and I hope you feel that and that it's fun for you too. When I was editing it just now I got swept up in listening to her talk. She's not just highly educated she's also wise and had I been a kid like back in the day if I would have heard her sharing her point of view and why she became such an academic, it probably would have inspired me to care more about school in terms of getting an actual education as opposed to the way I experienced it as this kind of like humiliating social theater (laughs) where the popular kids win and the rest of us are just losers. So how do I become a winner? It was just... It was a toxic experience for me, and I was a smart kid, and I really would have been inspired to hear someone like Thorne talk about it the way she does. It might have been the thing that made me go all the way in school, and I love that she's so... It's interesting. She's She is a Wiccan in the traditional Wicca sense, but she's also an eclectic person. She has a lot of different interests and they all inform each other. So I'm not going to take away from this episode by rambling a bunch here in the beginning. I've really gotten that out of my system. <laughs> On Patreon this month, there was a lot of rambling and I launched a separate podcast, The Bebo Effect, so I could just speak to my community, like people who want to go out of their way to listen to me ramble. I created a separate space for that so we can just hop right into this episode and I think y'all are going to love it. Hi Thorne, welcome to Hippie Witch. 
Hello. I'm very excited to be here because I've followed you on YouTube for so long. That's amazing. I feel like a rude asshole for not having you on my show because until now, because I've been aware of you for so long, I feel like we're at this huge witchy party and I keep seeing this this cool lady passed by. Her name is Thorne. I know for sure so many of my friends adore you. And it just occurred to me one day. I just randomly was like, reach out, ask her. And you were so cool. And here we are. You know, what's funny is like, I have this sense that those of us who are kind of, I think like of the same YouTube generation, Mm -hmm. we have spent the last like decade or even more seeing each other at the witchy party and just thinking of each other as peers. Like it never would occur to me to reach out to some of y'all just because I already think of you as my internet friends, even if we've never spoken directly because I've been listening to you for years. That is amazing. I can't imagine what you would get out of listening to me because you're such a smarty pants, which is what I actually partly want to talk about here today because... If I think Thorn Mooney, I think Smarty Pants, acad- academia, you're working on, I think, a third degree right now. Is that true? I don't even, I don't, I'm working on a second master's degree mm-hmm. right now, um, and I'm applying for a PhD program. So I'm just like begging universities to take me right now. But the market is really scary right now for academic anything, but especially the humanities. So I'm not putting all of my eggs into the one unstable, terrifying basket. Um, But it is my dream. So here we go. When I think about what I want to talk to you about, my brain just goes, "Ah!" it like fritzes out because the degree you're working on is a literary master's, right? Yes. um, English literature. Yeah. You've got one very popular book out already called Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide. You have another book coming out this fall called The Witch's Path, Advancing Your Craft at Every Level. You have multiple degrees. You're in the process of moving and you are a Wiccan high priestess. Yes. And I have many cats. (laughs) You remind me so much of my friend Allie, Alia Lux of the Mystic Praxis podcast. Okay. Also in North Carolina, I keep meeting people from North Carolina and thinking there's some strange synchronicity going on, but I don't know what it is. What is up with you people? North Carolina is kind of a magical state. I think people think about like the American South and they write it off, but actually there's so much here, particularly when it comes to magical stuff. Like the South has always been one of the most religiously diverse places in the country. It's always been kind of kooky and it's always been like a bastion for weirdos. So here (laughs) we are. I feel like I live in a bastion of weirdos. I live in Los Angeles. So, you know, weird weird must stay. (laughs) I think you win, like as far as the weirdos go. Uh, But there's a lot of witches here. There's a lot of all kinds of magical folk here. There's a really rich... I think magical tradition in the American South that has nothing to do with contemporary witchcraft, let alone Wicca. Um, But for some reason, there are are lots of covens there. For a long time, Raleigh had like one of the largest pagan pride days in the country. Um, There's just a lot here. And I think people wouldn't think to look for it because they think, oh, backward Southerners, they're all Christians and they hate everybody. Mm. And that's not true. Well, I noticed when I was snooping around somewhere, I I was snooping around reading all the things Mm -hmm. that you studied religious, you have a degree in religious studies. Is that accurate? Okay. And one of the things that was mentioned was evangelical Christianity, which I am extremely familiar with and very resistant to the word religion. I cannot imagine ever in my life getting into a new religion yeah. Which, which for as many books as I have on Wicca and for as much as, let's say, following the Wheel of the Year specifically is one thing that I got from Wicca that is a regular part of my practice, even a daily part, I would say, of my practice. I just am very, very re- resistant to anything religious. And sure. 
I'm fascinated by the way that you walk this path of religion on one side and academia on the other, and they seem to go really well to you. Can you explain that a little bit to me? Like, what is this about? Sure. I, well, I think it's important too to say that my, my background is a little bit weird since I was raised in a secular household. So a lot of the, I think the emotional hangups that folks have about religion, especially Christianity, but religion is this big category. I didn't, I wasn't raised with any of that. I didn't go to a church until I was an adult. I, I mean, I'd been in like my, my, um, my maternal family is Catholic and I'd attended like masses before, like when visiting a cousin, like once a year or whatever, but it was almost, it was almost a religious, just like kind of built into the fabric of going to visit family. And then when I'd be home with my parents in another state, hundreds of miles away, it was never a topic for discussion. So my first real exposure to religious people happened when I was in college. And I thought that it was the most creative, fascinating, artistic thing I'd ever seen. Wow. I am just dumbfounded by this (laughs) and amazed and so curious. Like if you step back And I know lots of folks can't do this. Like lots of people are traumatized by churches um, and and particular religious communities. And that I don't want to diminish that at all. But for other folks, if you can step back and sort of take that, that, uh, like that faraway kind of lens and look at what's going on, to me, it's like, it's like really significant theater or performance art or it's it's how people sort of connect on an emotional level I think it's beautiful and fascinating um I studied music as an undergraduate too and a lot of what you do as a music major is look at church music so much of what we do as artists as musicians comes through churches and through religion and so having that additional window that I hadn't had lent a lot of depth to other things I'd learned previously and literature too. Like if you don't have a working knowledge of the Bible, a lot of American literature doesn't make as much sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I had that, I felt like things kind of opened for me. And because I had that outsider perspective, I've been able to appreciate it as capital A art Uh, which is is not to diminish it's it's meaning like to me that's that's just about the the highest thing I could say about something um and I think that there are lots of ways that people express creativity religion just to me is one of the most profound and I'm fascinated by many traditions so yeah religious studies felt very natural when I I I took my first religion class in college, which was a history of Christianity. I loved my professor. I thought it was amazing. I remember reading the book of Ruth and thinking it was just the coolest thing ever. Like I just, I thought it was neat, but at the same time, I've never been tempted to be a Christian like that. It was a very different sort of appeal. Like I was interested in a literary tradition, essentially, and a historical tradition, rather than one that was necessarily relevant to my personal experience of the divine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what I can relate to in what you're saying is craft is kind of like that for me, a personal, eclectic craft that I control. And just like, (laughs) you know, I love to just go whim by whim by whim, but I have a lot of structure that I've just developed over time with habits and rituals and things like that. And that provides a structure, but I do think religion is, well, there's community for one. And I know that's something that's really important to you. I think, I think when I'm reading about why, why you like Wicca specifically. And I saw you say that Wicca is like a ritual framework. And I was like, that totally makes sense to me. So I think what I can relate to there is that it's just, I guess, that trauma of being a part of a religion and also somebody acting as a middleman to God. 
and oh, tell, yeah. telling me how it is. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> oh yeah. And you and I are on the same boat with that. Like, I think when I use the word religion too, I use it really, I think as broadly as it's possible to do that. And I give people the benefit of the doubt too. Like if you tell me that what you're doing is religion, okay. I think that's, I think that's a healthy perspective as a scholar, as an outsider, is to listen to the people doing it. So if you tell me what you're doing is religion, or if you tell me what you're doing is spirituality, or if you tell me what you're doing is secular or whatever, it's my responsibility to take that voice into consideration. Um, But what I am going to do is I'm going to point out similarities between other things. So like, I see a lot of similarities between coven-based Wicca and, for example, evangelical communities. For example, um, the idea of di- direct communion with the gods. In evangelical churches, you have this idea of the gifts of the spirit. In Wicca, you have notions about drawing down the moon, right? There's this idea of having a direct personal relationship with the gods. So those are similarities that I've seen that are useful to me. They're interesting as a scholar, but they're mostly useful to me as a practitioner, And again, like that comes from my own position of privilege of not having trauma around those things. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you are a person who thrives in a challenging environment intellectually too. Like hearing you be like, oh, I read the book of Ruth and I loved it. Or, you know, I know (laughs) you've talked about reading Raymond Buckland and I look at that stuff and my eyes just glaze over. I'm like, no, there are too many wonderful books in the world. I ain't doing this right now. And I feel like there's something in you that thrives in that space that really likes to challenge yourself. I think so. And I think what it is, it's not just like, I want material that's difficult. It's that I see particularly texts as windows into people's brains. So Mm -hmm. like, it's not that I necessarily think that Ray Buckland, because you brought him up, has like the absolute best thoughts about witchcraft and we all need to read him. But I do think that by reading Ray Buckland, which is not always pleasant, everybody, like, let's just say it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, it does give me a window into Ray Buckland himself, if not witchcraft. And I think other people are fascinating. You love talking to folks, right? Like getting oh, yeah. to connect with them personally. I do something similarly, I think, when I, when I read books. I think of books almost like people. Uh, I think I confused people in a YouTube video from a couple of years ago where I made the comment kind of flippantly that I saw the relationship between an author and a reader as being a social relationship as being kind of a communal relationship. It doesn't mean that I think readers and authors need to be friends, but I think that when you read a book, you are in conversation with an author, with somebody's ideas and perspectives. And that's how I approach reading. So I don't know, like to me, picking up, picking up a book, especially an old book, something that has a lot of history, you're connecting to so many people. And that's what I think is so fascinating. That's how we got here because I'm a book nerd. I love books and I have a lot of books. Oh my gosh. I, I have not counted them, but last time I counted, I had gotten rid of like 300 books and I think I was left with, I don't know, something like 1200 maybe. And now I think it's like right back to what it used to be. (laughs) I just have, I don't know, a book addiction. I just love it partly because of what you're saying. I can relate. (laughs) Yeah. I think what I, I think I click with different kinds of books maybe. And I think something you're saying right now, well, when I saw you post on Twitter, you were moving and you had all these books. I was like, whoa, she (laughs) might have me beat here. I think like this lady might have more books than I do. And that actually kind of triggered something in me. I'm like, we have to talk. (laughs) And I, and I do know you have that academic background and it was religious studies specifically that I was like, wow. Cause I will buy a book if Jesus is in the title. Yeah. Uh, And I've read about Jesus from many different perspectives. You know, people are always trying to unpack that, like who is Jesus and kind of put a different spin. But I mean, you have all those books from your academic studies, I'm assuming. Yeah. Wowie. And you've read Um, them all and they live in I actually, I actually just read a really great article 
I, I say great because it made me feel better about myself. Therefore, it must be true and accurate. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, it was called something like, um, you know, why why it's okay that you have lots of unread books around. And I don't even remember what the source was. It was just being passed around on Twitter. About... Was the reason that you're learning by osmosis? No. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> it was because the, the writer called it an anti-library. So your anti-library is all of the books that you own that are in your to-be-read pile or just there mocking you for not having read them. Um, <laughs> and I have, I have a lot of those books. And anyway, the point that the article was making was that books that you haven't read are a reminder about what you don't know and how much there still is left to learn and how exciting and stimulating that can be. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I do. I think that, like, I get excited in libraries and bookstores and you know, being surrounded by books, being in my home, having books everywhere, it, it does. It elevates my mood and it makes me enthused um, mm-hmm. because I think about how much else there is out in the world and how wonderful that is. Yeah. Um, I, I also married a bookstore owner. Oh, uh, right. So like he, when, when they closed the shop and we moved to Raleigh um, and he got a different sort of job, we, we kept a big chunk of the inventory because we're book people. And when I was calling around the movers, trying to find somebody who would move me, I needed to be like, hey, we have lots of books. And moving companies are like, oh, yeah, we get it. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I have a lot of books. And so I'm like running through. And I have no idea how many there are, but I just sort of took them room by room. And finally, the lady was like, oh. And then she said, so are you a professor or a lawyer? And I said, actually, I am a production editor for a publisher, but my husband owned a bookstore. And she's like, that's terrible. I was like, I know. That's why I'm paying you extra. <laughs> so. I've heard of people getting rid of all their books when they move. And that just breaks my heart a little bit. Oh, but I imagine no. I can see the freedom in it, maybe. I feel that I'm overly identified with them. I still like have been quoting myself of being like, I got rid of 300 books in 2015 because it still disturbs me. I will, <laughs> I'll be doing a podcast or something. And I'm like, Oh, what's that thing in that one book? And then I'll go looking for it. And then I, I'm re-traumatized all over again because I'm like, no, it must be one of the 300. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've done that too. Like I can count on one hand the number of times that I've really gotten rid of a substantial number of books and I've always regretted it. Mm-hmm. I've always regretted it. One time I think about like, I didn't think I was ever going to go back to school again. And then I did go back to school. And guess what? I needed to rebuy some of the same books. Right. That was terrible because we all know how expensive books are for universities. Um, I don't. I actually have no clue because most of my books I got like used or, you know, yeah. you can really bargain shop. Well, the they suck is what it is. The textbook okay. industry is a racket. Um, and I say that working in academic publishing. Pirate is, that shit, is any of it is any of it entertaining for a lowbrow reader like myself who will so what, completely shut down at the book of Ruth or Ray Buckland. I, well, actually my favorite books left over from my college days are actually my biology textbooks because they're so image heavy. Mm. I think they're fascinating. So if you need to know like how organs work or I don't know, I, I kept a bunch of those and I've actually used some of them to like collage in the past too. <laughs> mm. You know, it's interesting. What you're saying is very appealing to me. The reason academia never appealed to me or school maybe probably has to do with me growing up in a very controlling religion and not liking to follow other people's rules. And I just like to fly by the seat of my pants. But when you're saying like, I have this biology book, if you want to learn how organs work, I'm like, oh, I want to learn how the organs work. You know, I just, I love it all. You know, do, do you thrive in an environment where there's a structure and at the end of it, you have this information that has been delivered in a thoughtful way. Is that kind of how you, because you have a vast number of hobbies and interests and talents. Does that structure help you yeah, um, I definitely have the sort of personality that requires a lot of structure. And I don't know, I don't know if that's like 
like I'm, I'm not a behaviorist, everybody, but like, I don't know if that's inborn or my parents are both army officers. Um, and I grew up on, on base and then like around base. I mean, like all of the other families were military families when I was very little. And, you know, a lot of my friends were also army brats. And as you can imagine, as an only child in that structure, like there, there is a lot of structure and there is a lot of control. And to me, that was always very positive. And I don't think I realized how much of that there was until I got much older and I met people who grew up differently. Mm -hmm. I imagine that growing up in a military family is actually not all that much different than growing up in a religious family, like particular kinds of religious families. Mm. Like there's, there's structures that are in place, there are assumptions that are in place and things that really only make sense within the confines of a military family that other people would think are bizarre. Mm -hmm. um, you know, moving every few years or sometimes every year, I don't know, just like growing up that way, it makes sense to me that that translated well into a school setting. Um, and also I think why I ended up in a traditional Wiccan group instead of something that maybe was a little bit more eclectic. And I found being in traditional Wiccan spaces, so initiatory spaces, hierarchical spaces, we do, we attract a lot of folks with military backgrounds, um, with academic backgrounds, people who just really thrive, not because they want to be controlled, but because once you have kind of the ins and out of a structure, I think they can be, they can feel safe, but once you've sort of mastered the structure, it's really gratifying to kind of blow it up and do other things. Mm. Um, and that's, that to me is what's really fun about school is like, once you have, once you have basics mastered, like the whole point, the reason I want to do PhD work is because the whole point of that is doing something new, saying something original, doing something that contributes to a wider body of knowledge. It's not just about learning what other people have written. Like, yeah, and it takes a while to get there. Um, yeah, but, I can imagine yeah. the deep satisfaction and the joy of mastery. I, I definitely can understand that for sure. I, something I was trying to ask earlier, but I interrupted myself like five times yeah. is... You've written these books about Wicca. You're a Wiccan high priestess. And something I'm wondering, I strongly believe that magic, witchcraft, certain kinds of spirituality, it's great to read the books, but nothing will teach you like experience. And I think the thing about me owning so many damn books on Wicca and, you know, like being, I would say a cult curious, it's always just so foreign and bizarre to me. Like, why are these people in a circle and who gives a fuck if the robe is blue or green? And why it just, it just is like that. My eyes just completely glaze over and I'm like, no. And I think I'm missing the piece of actually being in a group and, the point. I feel like when it's laid out in a book, it's very odd and just kind of dry. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people feel that way. And that totally makes sense. The analogy that I like to share, because um, that's, that's a common question. I mean, people think that we we're nitpicky, right? Like we, we have to do things a particular way or like the gods will smite us or the thing won't work or we're not doing real witchcraft or whatever the heck. Okay. But that's, that's really not how we think. I liken it to music running scales. So regardless of what instrument you play, one of the things that you'll do as a music student ad nauseum is you'll run scales. You'll learn scales. You'll practice them. You'll practice playing them in particular ways. And like music students will do this for hours, hours and hours and hours. And what's cool about running scales, because it's tedious, it's terrible. And try teaching them to like a little kid learning music for the first time. It's agonizing because what you really want to do is be able to play music, right? Mm -hmm. um, but once you have the scales down, once you have the building blocks, you don't have to think about them anymore. And that's when improvisation can happen. You have the thing mastered, it's in your body, it's in your brain. And then you can kind of forget it because you can't forget it. It's, it's there. Um, and that's, that's how musicians learn to, to compose and to improvise over, over progressions. And in witchcraft, like, it's not that every single ritual that we do has to have, like, 
the blue robe with us saying the words exactly in the South at 2 a.m. on a particular day, (laughs) right? Like whatever the thing is, whatever your tradition is. It's that when you have patterns established, when those patterns are meaningful and ingrained, it does something emotionally and magically when you diverge from them. When you do, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, oh yeah. The, the patterns, yeah. the pattern thing, I'm big on it. Yes. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm also thinking about driving a stick shift and how yes, annoying and hard, and you're definitely going to die. That's how you feel when you first start. And it's Correct. like, I should not have to think this hard to drive a car, <laughs> but ultimately you don't have to think that car hard. It, it becomes part of you. Like it trains yeah. your limbic system and your nervous system. You're just going on automatic, which frees you up to have a nice ride. Yes. And it gives you, um, I'm terrible with a stick shift, but theoretically it gives you access to other kinds of vehicles later. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you master, mm-hmm. you master stick shift and you have a working knowledge now, at least theoretically, of other kinds of vehicles that operate that way that cannot run with like the automatic system that most people of us use. And I think, I think like Wicca could potentially be the same sort of thing. If we think about it, like a practice of Wicca, it provided me with a shared language of symbols and ritual practices that translated really nicely when I started exploring more widely, when I started exploring um, Thelema or the Golden Dawn or some of these other uh, ritual traditions and magical traditions, like there were these pieces that were already in common that I already had kind of a leg up on because of the way traditional Wicca works. Um, So that was really cool. I feel like this is all related. I see that you're interested in historical fencing, vintage guitars. I like old shit, everybody. (laughs) But traditional archery, bow hunting. I'm like, okay, (laughs) music, the, you know, not archery, traditional archery. And I'm like, not fencing, historical fencing. I'm like, I think... Perhaps each thing that you're learning is building on the other things. Definitely. And that's funny. I don't think I've ever had anybody like say that to me exactly. But I have um, I have one close friend, Lore, who makes fun of me. Um, she's also a member of my coven. And she makes fun of me because she says that everything that I do, I have to do it the difficult way and the most hardcore way. So like, I can't just like do a thing simply. I have to like overcommit or become obsessive or do the most like authentic, hardest, most historical, whatever version of it I can find. (laughs) That's amazing. I was thinking about leading up to talking to you. I was thinking about a couple of things. I was thinking about how much shit Wiccans get and also reverse snobbism And how you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because I know people judge me for being just very wild and eccentric, eclectic, free-spirited, like, you can't do that. That's not magic. And I'm like, fuck you, it is. You have no idea what I do. I will get defensive about that. But then on the flip side, somebody who's very academic, I think there is a reverse snobbism to it as well. And I feel like no matter what path you choose, somebody is going to dump on it. And I know you've experienced a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that's why it's so important to really just focus on ourselves. And that's so, that feels like such a kindergarten thing to say, like, keep your hands to yourself. But, like, it really is true because, I don't know, like, I can't recall anything I've ever done in my life that I haven't received some kind of criticism for. Like somebody doesn't like something, whether it's rando wishes on Twitter or like somebody mad on YouTube or, you know what I mean? Like mean girls in middle school, whatever, like you're not going to make everybody happy. So like, why not just make yourself happy? That's a bumper sticker, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is that, do it? <laughs> I mean, for me, that was part of the spiritual practice of back in the day when I made YouTube videos before I just kind of switched to podcasting. I definitely learned that, that literally there's nothing you can do that somebody won't criticize and you have to make peace with that. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering for you, like, what has your internet career taught you? What have you learned by doing this? My internet career has taught me a few things, I'm sure. And I'll think of them as I, the very first thing that comes to mind when I think about my experience on the internet is that most people are wonderful. Oh my God, yes. Right, like I think that we have very negative ideas collectively, even people who love the internet. Like we have very negative ideas about what people are like and how people will treat you. And my experience is that overwhelmingly, people are supportive and kind. They're not always... 100%, yes. They're not always like good at it, okay? But most of the time, people are well-meaning and they want genuinely what's best for other people. And people mess up, but I've learned, I think, to, to be a lot more forgiving and have more faith in people. And that to me has been one of the most important lessons. I can remember first getting the internet like in the 90s, like in the very late 90s. And you, I don't know if you remember like how freaked out parents were about like their kids being on like America Online and getting abducted. And, no, like, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> like, oh man, like stranger danger, like... Oh, I have that. I have that, Thorn. I have stranger danger. (laughs) And like all of that stuff really translated onto the internet when that became more ubiquitous. And I think like we were really strongly cautioned about like never letting anybody know where we live, never letting anybody know private details about us. And over and over again, emphasizing that the people we talked to online were not real friends. Like I really had that hammered into me. And like, that's not true at all. No. <laughs> so the internet has has really broadened my my social circles in some really significant ways. And yeah. that that's been the most important thing is that most people are good. Like I believe in the fundamental goodness of human beings. And when people are terrible, it's almost always because they are just wounded about something that has nothing to do with you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like an accelerated spiritual path, I think, maybe for some of us who are. If you start if you start out insecure, you're either gonna leave or you're gonna develop some kind of inner strength that allows you to withstand that kind of attention. And if you can do that, you will learn most people are lovely and kind and they're yeah. probably just trying to get in conversation with you, even if they do it awkwardly. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, when folks are awkward in my vicinity, I have to remind myself, first of all, that I can be really awkward, but a lot of the times it's the medium. It's not the person, you know, it's very difficult to say something profound and useful on Twitter. It's very difficult to connect emotionally with somebody, you know, through Instagram DMS or something like that's hard. So what if we stopped just penalizing people when they sort of fail a little bit at that? Oh yeah. I would be a very bad podcast host if I did not acknowledge the little being there trying to interrupt us. <laughs> Who is that? That is Oliver. Can you hear? <laughs> Oliver, what? What? You've tried to interrupt us a number of times. So what do you have to say? So Oliver, um, for anybody who's who's followed my YouTube channel for any length of time, um, he shows up in a lot of my earlier videos. He's my kitty cat and he is like 300 years old. Um, but we moved to a house that has two stories a couple of years ago and he really just hasn't liked being on the stairs. We had to introduce another couple of cats after I got married. So he's mostly confined himself downstairs. Just in the last two days, he's decided that he wants to be upstairs and in my face, mm. which is great. Like I'm glad he's feeling bold. Um, I'm glad he's living his best life, but it is making working a little bit trickier. (laughs) I value his contribution. Yes. I honor (laughs) that. (laughs) Okay. The move. I was kind of amazed that you showed up today. There was part of me that thought she's going to have to reschedule, isn't she? Because she's an undergrad student working a full-time job, moving with 10 bajillion books. And here you are. (laughs) I did have to message you and be like, I completely forgot what time. Please tell me what time. Oh, gosh. That's like me. I was, that is no sweat off my nose because it's a miracle that I knew what time. 
Yep. I was just like, oh, she'll send a meeting invite. It's fine. We'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, are you a very present person? What allows you to be here having this conversation with me right now without Um, your brain spinning out in a bunch of different directions? I I think I'm good at breaking up my time in a way where I think in short term rather than long term. So like, for example, one of the things that I'm also doing this week is I'm writing a final paper for class and like the final paper, it's, it's not a super big deal. Like it's like, it's like 12 to 15 pages on George Eliot's Middlemarch. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Middlemarch is a big ass book. It's like 800 pages sitting here. Okay. George Eliot, who was right. not a man. And I did not know that until so late in life. It's embarrassing. No, it's fine. How could you know that? Um, I had, I was just shocked. I was like, what? Yeah. What is real? Uh, I think I have a lot of those moments in my life. What is real? I don't even know. But if I had to think about, oh, I have 800 pages to read, that would be overwhelming. Like I definitely, mm-hmm. um, I absolutely am an anxious person. Um, it's much easier to think, oh, if I read 20 pages a day, here's how I break it up. So I try to think of like small things and I do that like hourly over the course of my day. I'll think, okay, like I've got, I've got X amount of time to kind of putter around and get coffee in the morning. And I've got work to do here. I'll tune into my day job, you know, answer emails, whatever. And then like, here's my conversation, you know, with this podcast and that'll be a nice break from work. Like, yeah, I don't know, just like kind of breaking up the day in my head. And I don't sit here with a planner, you know, but if I think about things in bite-sized pieces, that's how I get stuff done. So like writing the writing one of the books, for example, like the idea of sitting down and writing a book is like terrifying, but I could sit down and write a section about how I feel about covens. Mm. And then later I could sit down and write another section about like, what advice I would give to somebody looking for a coven. And if I do that over the course of a year, boom, there's a book. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. It sounds like you're good at compartmentalizing and being very present to whatever compartment you're in at the moment. Yes. And being okay with sort of letting the other compartment sit for a bit. Yeah. I've had to learn that too. Otherwise I just, I don't know. It helps mindfulness, meditation. These things are so useful. Oh yeah. Well, routine does that for me too. Like Mm -hmm. it hardly even matters what the routine is sometimes, but like if I have a routine in place, my life is just a lot better. Mm. Can can we jump around a little bit? Because I have two words that are like neon signs in my head that I wanted to try to unpack with you and you can grab whichever one interests you is fine. But one is hierarchy. Cool. Yep. And because there's a whole chapter on it in your first book. Mm -hmm. And then the subtitle of your second book is advancing your craft at every level. So I'm thinking I have tremendous resistance to both of these words. I want to fight, I want to fight you so bad. So let's, let's talk about advancing. Okay. Advancing advancement. I feel like this goes in this category I have of like when people talk about ascending or high, anything like high vibes, high hierarchy, high, help me, help me Thorn. Yeah. Anything that has to do. So I think one of the reasons why, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the reasons why that word is so uncomfortable and those concepts are so uncomfortable is because they necessarily mean that there's something wrong with you now. Perhaps. Like, um, and I, I, if that's the case, then like, I totally agree with you. This idea that we always have to be trying to be better or trying to ascend or trying to advance, trying to like, because the flip side of that is there's a problem with you now. You're doing something wrong. You're not doing something good enough. And then it's just like inviting our parents into our room or something. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's an implied betterness that somehow this is better than that when where I'm at right now is where I need to be and it's what's serving me. And I don't appreciate (laughs) someone over here being like, I am so advanced. I'm like, oh, okay, well, enjoy that. But I I don't really feel the temptation to go over there and I feel a little bit judged by you. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, so one of the things that I had to do off right off the bat, so I, when we, so 
folks may or may not know this, but titles are worked out usually between the author and the publisher. Usually the author doesn't just get to name the book, whatever they want. Yes. Um, and I really struggle with titles. I kind of suck at it actually. Like that's why my, my, my uh, my Volkswagen Jetta was named Jetta for years. Like I just <laughs> stuck at naming things. <laughs> um, so I'm usually pretty happy to just be like, Llewellyn, name it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that I was thinking about when I was writing the book is how many folks are out in the world complaining about how there aren't enough advanced witchcraft books. Like, where are the advanced books? I'm so tired of reading the basics. Where are the advanced books? Where are the next level books? And you're right. Like, we really have to stop and think about what that means. And what I ended up doing in contemplating that and writing about it, because the writing of the book itself is me contemplating the issues. It's not that I think I have all the answers beforehand. This is just, like, how I process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. But I think we have to address why it is that we feel the need to be doing something else. Like, why is it that everybody seems to be trying to be somewhere else? Yes. Um, And for a lot of folks, I think the answer is that they're bored with what they're doing. Like, it's not actually meaningful for them. They think that maybe they're doing something wrong or they're not getting out of it what the internet or whoever tells them that they're supposed to be getting out of it. Um, so one of the things that I really wanted to do was encourage folks to reevaluate what it means for something to be advanced. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the exercises, um, in the book and something I made a YouTube video about, I don't know, a year or two ago was the notion of being an advanced reader versus having advanced books, and how whether or not a book is a beginner book or an advanced book or whatever has a lot more to do with your perspective as a reader than it does anything objective about the book itself. So, for example, um, we were kind of talking about Ray Buckland a little bit earlier when we were joking. Like, Ray Buckland can be kind of a dry writer, but you'll see the Big Blue Book of Witchcraft show up on reading lists now uh, still pretty pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, and... If you pick up that book and it's your first book and you're just looking for an introductory guide to how to, how to practice witchcraft, it'll get you there, right? It might be a little bit awkward. Um, there's a chapter about like forging your own asame and not everybody can do that. Okay. <laughs> but like, but like, you'll get there. You'll learn, like, there's some, there's some Thorn. diagrams. <laughs> Thorn, I have full confidence in you specifically <laughs> to forge your own asame. <laughs> I do have a friend with a forge, maybe someday. I can Um, see it. (laughs) Right. But like if, if you had been practicing for a few years and you already had an altar and you'd already forged your own thumb or whatever, then the book might seem boring. But if I change up my thinking a little bit and I decide that what I'm actually going to learn from the book is insight into how people were practicing witchcraft in the 80s right? Or in, in the early 90s, like what was Ray Buckland up to? Then suddenly I'm learning new things, even if I've read the book before. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you shift your perspective and you get to be in conversation with the author and the time period, not just the material. Um, yeah. So I like to, for example, I tell people, I still read a lot of beginner books. Like lots of Witchcraft 101 books come out every year. And I read a lot of them. And it's not because I want to learn how to be a witch, okay? Like, that ship has sailed. (laughs) But it tells me a lot about what people learning today care about. It tells me how much our movement has changed and shifted since I first learned. And even just over the last few years. Like, I don't know if people realize how much the wider witchcraft community has changed just in the last like five or six years. Yeah. Um, And I get that additional level of insight when I read those books. Um, And that's not a beginner perspective necessarily. Um, So sometimes I think this idea of being advanced, it's not about learning more material or doing things differently necessarily. A lot of the times it's just about shifting how your approach how you're approaching something or what you're thinking is 
Um, And ultimately the goal is to build meaning where maybe there isn't any, or maybe that meaning has faded a little bit over the years. Um, Oh, I like that. Right. Like that's what it's about. It's not about, I was very disappointed at one point I picked up a book. I don't know, a few years ago that was like purporting to be an advanced Wicca book. I think it was even called like advancing Wicca or advancing witchcraft or something. It was an old uh, Llewellyn title, I think. And it was very disappointing because each chapter was just like a different piece of some occult knowledge. Like here's a chapter about the Fae. Here's a chapter about rich, like whatever. And it didn't really have anything to do with Wicca explicitly. It was just more information. And I don't think more equals advanced. Right. I I understand advanced in terms of learning a skill, right? Like you learn basic cooking skills. That would be a beginner book. And then if you want to build on those skills, I think for me, it's harder to wrap my mind around when we're talking about spirituality because I think I'm just a really basic witch. I'm a very simple person. I want I want to touch God. I want to have the experience of God. I want to feel very present and embodied in the now moment so I can experience this life I'm supposed to experience and and be in love with my life. And that's really what I'm trying to do. And some books give me that feeling and they're not necessarily witchy books at all. Some, oh, witch, some witchy books will, but I'm, I kind of look at that stuff as like, okay, we have different motivations here because I'm actually not trying to master witchcraft. I'm just trying to stay in communion with what is as often as I possibly can. Absolutely. Nope. You and I are in the same camp. Um, it's, it's so funny kind of having that realization too, because my, my thought when you were speaking initially was like, well, (laughs) what else could there be? Like in my mind, that's kind of, that would be the pinnacle of my practice. And to me that that's so central to my own practice of Wicca. It's fundamentally about touching God, right? Mm -hmm. Like however you want, whatever you want to call it and however you want to phrase it, like it's about having that very direct communion with something that is bigger than just you and your your brain and your body and your immediate kind of feelings about your circumstances like if I can touch something that um yeah I mean the whole point is that it's kind of ineffable and hard to describe right but um I love that though I do love that in some religious communities the word is numinous this idea of touching the numinous this thing that's just beyond um and that to me is what I'm trying to do in ritual. And like, if I'm doing a spell for money or whatever, like that's fine, but that's not ultimately why I'm a witch. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is build this connection so that I can then carry it around with me throughout the day for the sake of bettering my, my own relationship with myself and with my life. Um, and to me, like, it doesn't get more advanced than that. So like, you could go learn Latin. Okay. But that's not necessarily going to help you do any of those things. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I am so upset at how fast the time is going. I guess I have to become like a Thorn Mooney super fan and go binge all your videos. Cause I'm like, we haven't even talked about God and gods and goddesses and someday uh, I'll hierarchy. can we, you must come back sometime. Cause we got more, maybe when your book comes out, we can, we can, I will come to LA. Absolutely. Oh, oh God. <laughs> love it when your book comes out to you if you want if you use me use my podcast like let me just shout all about it um can you very quickly uh, yeah. uh, like unpack the word hierarchy um kind of like with structure I think that hierarchy it could be a bad thing it could be a good thing ultimately it's a tool in the toolbox structure is helpful for a lot of people to some extent and that's what hierarchy should do But good hierarchies should not keep people in their place. It's about providing a skill set and then sending them on their way to use it. Mm -hmm. So the analogy I like to use is the classroom. I was a classroom teacher for about five years. You don't want to keep the same students in your room. Good Lord, right? You teach them to read and you send them on the way so that they can go off and be thinking adults on their own who don't need you. 
And that's my job also as a high priestess. It's not so that I can collect peons. It's so that I can show you the toolbox, teach you how the hammer works, and then send you off to build your own damn buildings. Oh, I love that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, 100%. I totally get that. Yeah, you're a very likable person, I have to say. I understand why so many people, when they say your name, it's, reverence isn't the right word. It's more, it's just, they love you. I can feel that. And I like people. I try to, you know, and I'm not saying that like everybody, not everybody loves me. Okay. But like, I, even people I don't like, like I sort of like. <laughs> oh, I'm the same. Oh my gosh. I did not expect you to say that. Yeah. I'm no, a people like, person. I yeah. am too. I'm super introverted. So I think sometimes people think I'm snobby, but actually I'm just like super anxious all the time. Oh, I would never pick up on that either. Cause you have a very calm, calming demeanor. Many years of practice and therapy, my friend. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Also, I have to ask about God because you keep saying God's plural and you are a Wiccan. What is your opinion, experience of, what are your thoughts on like, what is this? What are these gods? Just the final 30 seconds. No big deal. Oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to kick you off here, but oh. I, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. And I sort of, I sort of love that. One of the cool things to me about Wicca in particular, like that's my particular expression of, of religiosity, right? But I think we could say this about witchcraft as a whole or spirituality as all. Like, I love that it provides me, again, like a toolbox to go and pursue that myself and figure out what it is. I love that in my, in my, my coven here, we all have very different ideas about God, the gods, the goddess, whatever, whatever. Like, is it something transcendent? Is it you like evoking something out of yourself? Is it something that we construct and ascribe meaning to? And I think the answer is all of those things. Yes. And I will change my mind from day to day, from ritual to ritual. And I think kind of like at the very beginning to tie our conversation back to the start, this is that creativity I was talking about that I think is really beautiful. And I think good religion, if we can use that phrase, encourages exploration and it encourages doubt. Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't know is the answer. And isn't that Yay. great? That's my favorite answer. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, you often will see on social media, people will be like, the gods are real. Don't call them archetypes or, you know, this is, they're not figments of your imagination. They are real and they have a life of their own. I've had experiences that would confirm that. And I've had other experiences that make me think, well, this is just an aspect of myself coming yep. forward and who knows? Same, same. And I'm very wary of anybody who purports to say something definitive about a God, period. Like if you tell me, you know, well, Hecate only wants this or the gods are really like this, like I've already tuned out. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. I did not expect to have this much in common with you. I, I figured we'd find some common ground, but I'm... I think I think we'd be friends. I'll have to come to LA. I want to go on a, one of those really cheesy celebrity tours. So you might have to like watch oh. if that happens. Yeah, I, I would give you the nature tour because I think it's gorgeous here and people don't okay. know. They think like smog and Hollywood and freeways and it's so not that. Let's do it. I'm in. Was I right? Or was I right or was I right? So fun, right? That was such a great conversation. I am now officially calling in more conversations like this. Please, universe, it's so much fun to kind of get into a friendly, argument is the wrong word, but I can't think of what the right word might be. Just a conversation where we say like, hey, I have a weird thing with this word. Like, what does it mean to you? I really love that. And I'm hoping to have more people on where we can get into it and they don't feel like I'm attacking them when I have all the questions. I thought Sarah Gottsinger, when she came on the show, Gottsdiener, I always say her name wrong, but the moon book, when she came on, that was like a great conversation like that. Or Kat Borealis, I love all the guests that I have on, but when somebody really just wants to roll up their sleeves and be like, let's talk about this thing, 
<sighs> it's the best. It's the best. And if you want to hear more talking, the Bebo effect is beauty in, beauty out. That's what Bebo stands for. It's a free podcast that I created just for people who like to hear me ramble because some people actually do. So I will link to that first episode. I'm going to try to do about one a month, maybe more, but at least one a month so I can keep in the flow of it. And no, no promises because that's supposed to be very free and creative and loosey-goosey, but that's kind of the free, creative, loosey-goosey rhythm that I have in mind for that right now. And of course, I'm going to link to all of Thorne's things and the show notes. I will be coming back at you with the podcast here in just a couple more days before the end of the month. A new interview with Adriana McManus of the Cosmic Mother. So until we meet again, I hope all is well in your world. Much love. Peace.